Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. So I imagine in my head what it would have been like to have been Hosea. And we've seen unfold over the first three chapters this relationship that he had with Gomer, his wife, who was a woman of whoredom, the scripture says. She was a prostitute. She sold herself at the temple worship. She was unfaithful to her husband. And God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to go and I want you to love this woman and I want you to make her your wife, and the reason for this is because I have a message that I want to give to the children of Israel. You see, the way Israel has treated me is just like your wife will treat you. She has been unfaithful to me. She's found herself other ways and other people or other gods to worship. She's found herself under the shade of the trees of the pagans, worshiping their altars and worshiping their idols that have made, been made by human hands. And so his heart is broken Hosea's heart is broken, but Hosea's heart is just a reflection of God's heart. And here what we have is we have a shift that takes place between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Up to this point, it's been the story of Hosea and his wife. And now the story is going to shift and God is going to begin to use Hosea as a prophet to bring a word against the children of Israel. And it's a strong word. And so in my mind's eye, I can imagine Hosea struggling with the call of God on his life. I don't know, have you ever been in that place where you know God is calling you to do something great? God is calling you to do something brave? And really, you're struggling with whether or not you want to be as radical as God is calling you to be. Have you ever been there? Right? You know what God's word says. You know what God is calling you to do. But there's that part of you, the flesh, that is struggling, that wants to stay attached to the stool. And so Hosea is there, and in his spirit, this word is just coming up over and over and over again. And I've been in that place, and this is the rock that I will get. Just, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what are you trying to say? Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what can I do? And I can just imagine how difficult this word would have been. And in chapter 4, Hosea is going to unleash. He's been rocking in the stool for a long time. The Lord has been speaking to him a long time. And finally, in his spirit, he's worked up the boldness to get up off the stool and to approach the city gates. You see, the city gates during these days were a place where judgment was rendered. The people would come to the city gates because the elders would sit there and they would judge. They would decide contracts. They would decide lawsuits. They would really try cases. And so he comes here, Hosea works up the courage to get off the stool, to come with this word that God has placed in his heart. He's been a walking, living, breathing object lesson to this point, and now he's got to speak. Now he's got to tell plainly what God's word is for the children of Israel. And so he approaches the leadership at the city gates, and everyone's eyes would have been watching him. Here these men, the elders of the city, the religious leaders of the city, they sit and they render judgment, and now Hosea comes with the word of judgment to those very leaders. Imagine how difficult it would have been to be the man, the woman of God in that moment. And this is what I need you to understand today. We're going to read some very 
harsh, strong words from Hosea. But the truth of the matter is, is that our culture, our leadership, the people that are making decisions in our lives need as strong as a word today as those leaders needed then. Yes, praise the Lord. But here's what my worry is. My worry is that the church is sitting on the stool rocking. The word is there. The truth is there. What the culture needs to hear, what the leaders need to hear, it's there. But there's no man or woman of God willing to stop rocking and get up off the stool and speak the word that is needed. Hosea is an example for me. And I hope this morning that Hosea is an example for you. Because when he brings this word, he knows he's not going to be popular. He knows he's going to be hated. But do you know what matters more than his popularity? You know what matters more than his comfort? Is that he's obedient to God's word. That's what matters most. That when he lays his head down on the pillow at the end of the night, he doesn't have to sit there rocking because he didn't do what God had called him to do. That he can rest saying, God, I gave them your word, what they do with it is not up to me, it is up to them. I gave them the word, and now you are just in bringing judgment because a warning has been given. Hosea chapter 4. We're going to read the first three verses together. We're going to break this up into three parts pretty cleanly. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love or knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, there's lying, there's murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it, they languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. This is how he begins his preaching, his word to the religious leaders. He says, here, listen up. You know, whenever you see that in the scriptures, I hope that that really resonates with you. When the word says, hear the word of the Lord, you need to pay attention, right? So if God's word says, hey, listen up, hey, listen to what I have to say, we need to pause for a second. We need to, just, we need to say, okay, there's something very specific that God wants us to hear in this. Not as though the entire scripture, the entire scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Spirit of God, right? But there are certain times in scripture where that warning comes up. Hey, listen, take heed to this word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God begins the great Shema. He goes to the children of Israel and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall worship him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, this is what I want you to do, my children. And this is why I love the Lord. This is why I'm so grateful for what God does in us. Because even in the midst of this, even when this word comes against Israel, still God is trying to be gracious. And God has been gracious. Because we have trouble listening. We have trouble understanding what God's word is. So do you know what God did? The word became flesh so we could see it. So we could hear it, so that we could understand it. And the word that became flesh, his words are recorded in the scripture for us so that we can grab hold of it, that we can apply it, that we can live it. So God says, yeah, you have trouble hearing. You have trouble understanding, but I've got a remedy for that. You see, I'm going to send the word, Jesus, to become flesh and to dwell amongst you so that you can behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten 
You will behold his glory. The word made flesh, put meat on it so that you can see it, so that you can understand it. And so Jesus comes. He comes in the flesh. The word manifests in human form so that we could see it, so that we could hear it, so that we could understand it. But when Jesus came, he came with warnings. And throughout the book of John, you can really see this. Because there are times when Jesus, during his preaching, he uses this phrase over and over again. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, we don't speak that way to each other today, right? I mean, if I came up to you and I said, verily, verily, I want to say something, you're going to think I'm crazy, right? I need to be locked away somewhere. But that phrase, verily, verily, it just means I'm telling you truth now. And really, I think that as a culture, the culture needs truth. The culture needs the church to have a little bit more verily, verily in its vocabulary, if you know what I'm saying. Right? Verily, verily, of a truth. And these are some of the things. I just have a, a few of them I want to say here. John chapter 3, verse 5. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here, Jesus is saying, this is a truth. This is how you can be saved. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to have God's Spirit living and dwelling within you. And if you don't have that, then you cannot be saved. Listen to this. This is John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. John 8, 51. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So we have trouble understanding. We have trouble listening. How many... Wives in the room understand that your husband really doesn't have an issue with his hearing. It's, you know, it's a disease called selective hearing, right? How many of you experienced this before? You ask the trash to be taken out or the dishes to be washed. And, you know, for some reason, I didn't hear you say that. But when you say dinner is ready or the dessert is ready, they're right there, right? We have selective hearing oftentimes when it comes to God's word, even in the church, and this is a warning for each of us because we like to pick and choose what we want to listen to or what we want to obey as it benefits us or not. Well, guess what? We don't get to decide what truth is. God has decided what truth is, right? When you hear the truth and you choose to disobey that truth, there's no faith in that. You have no faith in the one who spoke those words. You know what? You're like the teenager who looks at the parent and says, you know what? I think I know better than you. Parents, you've been there, right? You know, your kids get to a certain age and their certain maturity, and all of a sudden they think that they're the most intelligent person in the entire world and that you don't know what you're talking about, that all of your years of paying hard dues mean nothing, amount to nothing, and they know better than you do. How often do we do that to the Lord? God, I know your word says that I shouldn't fornicate. I know your word says that I need to be in prayer. But you know what? I know better than you do. Ouch. The word became flesh so that we could see it, so we could understand it, so we could grasp it. Jesus left his throne to dwell as a man in human flesh so that we could behold the word. And when he says, listen up, we need to listen up. So the exhortation, this word that Hosea has, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. Listen up. 
The Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. The word controversy, again, it's a legal term. That's why I say most likely this is coming to the city gates. This is being played out in public forum. The leadership of the children of Israel are there. The religious leaders there. The village leaders, the elders of the village are there. And he brings this charge and he says, listen, I have this formal accusation, this legal charge that I'm bringing to you. And we've already discovered through the first three chapters what that legal charge was. It was that the children of Israel had not been faithful to their marriage vows to the Lord. And because of that, the relationship had been severed, broken. There was no intimacy between the children of Israel and the Lord any longer because of their disobedience. Because they hadn't been faithful to the marriage covenant. Their sin had separated them from God. This is the formal accusation, the formal charge. What I want you to understand this morning is that in the same sense that the children of Israel broke that covenant and it separated them from the presence of God, the same thing happens to us today. When you choose to sin, the intimacy that God wants with you is severed. The relationship that God wants with you is broken. And it's no wonder you can't hear the word of God. You've been in sin. You've been walking in sin. And unless you turn from that sin, that intimacy cannot be restored. You understand this, don't you? You can't live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world and feel like you're going to be okay. You have to choose a side. Right? So there's this impetus here. There's this, this motivation that Hosea has. That Listen, there's this charge. You know this charge. I've lived this out. I've experienced this myself. I understand how God feels because my wife has been unfaithful also. And there's a separation that has happened. Now, here's a promise. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. There's a promise in Romans chapter 8. And this is the beauty of being in Christ. When you've been made new, when you've confessed your sin before God in heaven, and you've been washed and forgiven and cleansed of that sin, here's the beauty, here's the blessing of living your life in Christ. Romans chapter 8, listen to what this says. Pick it up in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Again, in Hosea's day, he's bringing this charge before the leaders of the city. Before the religious Leaders, the elders of the people. He's saying, this is the formal accusation I have. Now, Paul says in Romans, something changes when we come to Christ. All of a sudden, there is no charge that can be brought against God's elect. If you're in Christ, no one can accuse you of something. You know why? Because Jesus has already paid the price for that sin. He already absorbed that guilt. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who also raised and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Listen to this, verse 35. Just like the sin, the broken covenant, the broken promises between the children of Israel and God. Israel forgot God's law, forgot God's word, forgot their promise. And they were separated from God. Look at what the scripture says here in verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God? I once lived a life that was separated from God. I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. 
I was without hope in this world. But when I came to Christ, something changed. Now there's no more accusation that can be levied against me. Now I have one that intercedes on my behalf. And furthermore, there is now nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I can't be estranged. That intimacy can no longer be broken because I'm not in my own righteousness. I'm in the righteousness of Christ. See, I've put on Christ. I'm living my life in Christ. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord. The charge that the children of Israel heard from the lips of Hosea that day were that you are separated from God because of your sin. The hope that we have when we are in Christ is that we will never again hear those words, you've been separated from the love of God. Rather, we hear the words, there is nothing that can separate you from that love. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you again from that love that is in Christ Jesus. There's this word that he brings, this heavy word. He has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. I have this problem. I bring this accusation. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. The first thing is that you're going to see some sins of omission. Those are things that they should have been doing that they weren't doing. But we're also going to see sins of commission. Things that they were doing that they should not have been doing. Okay, you see the difference? There are things that they were doing that they should not have been doing, but there are also things that they should have been doing that they had neglected to do. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Let's look at the sins of omission first. He says, there is no faithfulness. This is Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. So there are three things there that the children of Israel had omitted in their worship or in their lifestyle. First off, there was no faithfulness. The word in the Hebrew is emet. And it means literally to have a wholesomeness of heart or of character. What is character? Character is the person that you are when no one else is looking. See, you can come here and you can play the good Christian. You can sing the songs nice and loud. And you can say amen and you can clap. And you can bring the biggest Bible in the world with you to church. But your character is, is who you are when no one else is watching. Faithfulness, truth, integrity. That's what the word means. Right? And the church is even lacking in these areas. Right? And again, we want to come and we want to play church and we want to play worship. And we don't give a thought to the way we behave outside these four walls. Who we're talking to and what we're and what kind of music we're listening to. All of these things. God is paying attention. Are you being faithful to the promises that you made? Because again, in Exodus chapter 19, God comes to the children of Israel. He lays out a plan. He says, look, this is my law. These are the rules. If you want to be my special treasure, if you want to be my bride, you've got to abide by these things. And the children of Israel said, everything you have spoken, we will do. We will obey it. In essence, they say, I do. You've got us. Our heart belongs to you. But they were not faithful. 
If I'm faithful to my wife 90% of the time, am I faithful at all? No. If I go in and I take a test at the DMV and I only cheat on 10% of the test, was I faithful? No. If you're going to be faithful, you have to be faithful 100% of the time or there's no faithfulness at all. Right? And so here, the first sin that the children are committing is there's no faithfulness in the land. They weren't being real. See, when you come to Christ, your life should change. If you still feel comfortable dwelling and living in your sin and watching the things you watch and being around the people that you've been around your whole life and you still feel comfortable running in those circles and involved in that sin, there's something wrong. Because there's no faithfulness on your part to the Lord. Right? This is what it says in Titus. It says this in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. If you're in Christ, you should renounce those things. You should renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Rather, you should live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That as we wait for God, we should be waiting faithfully, that we should have a purity in the way we live. And if we don't, we are not being faithful to the Lord. Now, understand this. That Faithfulness to God, that pure living, will not save you. Rather, once you've come to Christ and your heart has been quickened and your spirit has been changed, you should desire to live that way. Why? Because this honors the Lord. That lifestyle of holy living is an evidence of your salvation. It does not earn you salvation. Does this make sense? And I want you to understand this because I fear that there are far too many people in the church in America today especially, even in our church, that are comfortable in their sin and they feel like because I made a confession for Jesus, I can live however I want. Well, that's wrong. Hosea had been rocking on that stool for quite a while before he got up. And he came and he brought a word that was difficult for people to hear. And that word is this, is that you cannot make a confession for Jesus and live like the world. You're not being faithful. I don't care. He said, well, you know, I only participate in my sin one day out of the month. Or I only stumble and fall one day out of the month. You know what? 90% faithfulness to my wife is not faithfulness at all. Are you going to be faithful to God or aren't you? Right? So the first thing there, there's that faithfulness. Second thing, so there was no steadfast love. The word in the Hebrew is hesed. It means a loyal love. It means an, an undying devotion, right? Now, it, specifically, this word means to go above and beyond the legal obligation for something, right? And the best way I can paint this is, is we just had Valentine's Day, right? And, you know, there are certain things that a man is expected to do around Valentine's Day. It's like a legal obligation, right? And if you get flowers and if you get chocolate and you get a nice little card and you do those things and you bring those things to your wife, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you should do that. What do you, you want me to thank you? But what if you do that on March 14th instead of February 14th? See, there's no legal obligation for that. I'm not obligated to do that. I did that out of devotion, out of love, because I want my wife to feel blessed and to feel loved and to feel appreciated, right? This is the way we should be loving the Lord. 
It should surpass a legal obligation, and it should be birthed out of this devotion that we have to this desire that we have to bring something to God that is going to be pleasing to him. Jesus said this, if you love me, what? Keep my commands. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command of all of the scripture? And he said, the first and greatest command is this, that you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is just like it, just as important, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, okay, if you want to show me your devotion, if you want to show me that you want to love above and beyond legal obligation, then love me with all that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I want to see. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.